0: So you want to quit Vim. Uh, I think it's impossible, uh, right, Dan? It, wait, so it's just like pull the plug out of the wall is how you how you quit Vim, right?
1: That's one way to do that. I don't know that, you know, either that or, you know, mashing the power button. Yeah, yeah. It gets the job done. I don't know as I recommend either of those, right?
0: Okay, so how do you actually quit Vim?
1: So how I quit Vim is very traditional. I use escape. And then I use the colon to get myself into command mode, and then if I'm wanting to write my changes out to the file before I quit, I'll do a W and then Q and then hit enter, and that'll write the changes and then quit. If I've made some boo-boos and I really don't want to save that or I just accidentally edited something and I just want to quit, and get out of this document that I was just trying to read, um, then um, instead of WQ, I'm going to just put Q and then an exclamation point, and that's going to exit without saving.
0: Yeah, no wonder no one can actually quit Vim. It's a five-step process.
1: Coming up in this episode, we've got some Vim stories. Uh, we've got the quick history of Vi and Vim. A snappy Mozilla watch. GNOME can toggle too. And we take a sip of cider. Hello, and welcome to season three, episode five of Linux User Space. I'm Dan, and I'm Leo. hey, leo so vim
0: um, you yeah. said it in the opening. we mm-hmm. talked about it in the opening of the opening,
1: yep, um huh that it's divisive, isn't it we, I, uh, it's there's some territorial <laughs> uh wars I probably that have been <laughs> fought over it, maybe not, I don't know, but like it it is divisive, like a lot everybody has their preference as far as command line text editors um what their what their choices are and they have a lot of different reasons for it um i'm just going to say that like vi vim is sort of where i cut my teeth um yeah yeah so same it's here it's very comfortable for me and it's probably my favorite command line text editor
0: well nobody told me nano existed when mm-hmm. i was learning how right. to do all of this stuff. And so, you know, you just get pushed into the de facto answer, which is, oh, just use VI. Just right. use VI. And, right. and while they are two separate things, we'll get, we'll get into that in the history, VI and Vim. Yep.
1: And there's a lot of variation depending on which distribution you're using yeah. as well. So, I mean. It, I just it, figured
0: everybody had jumped on the Vim train, mm-hmm. but that's not true. Not even today that's not true.
1: That's, yeah, you're right. You're right. So you have to be very careful there.
0: Yeah, you you do, you definitely do, but um, I I want to hear Dan, and I I assume everybody else does too. Uh, if you have any just stories about VI,
1: so I can tell you, um, I I've witnessed. Some of my other colleagues, uh, learning learning their way through Linux, they were they they had originated in Windows, and were you know administering that stuff for a while. But then then it came time for them to ha- have to administer something that was Linux, and they needed to edit a configuration file. So, and you
0: didn't tell them about Nano.
1: <laughs> I I well, I'm not even sure that it was available on the system that they were using, oh, right? So yep. It was a while ago, and so we're looking maybe CentOS 6, so RHEL 6, mm-hmm. you know, that, that time frame when when that was the popular thing, and very current. Um, so, Nano, you know, not installed there by default, right? mm mm-hmm. Or at least it wasn't then. And um, so, VI was the thing to use, because that's what came pre-installed, so... They got themselves into Vi, which we talked about exiting, and, and and that's a that's a confusion factor for a lot of people because it does not tell you when you get in into the program what you what keystrokes you need to use to get out of it or save no. anything or any of that. Right? You just have to know that. That's that's like inherent somehow. So he got himself into it and knew how to quit. Like that was he he got that down. However, it was a complicated thing and basically wanted to copy paste some stuff. Uh, and you know, yanking and putting is not necessarily as straightforward as you'd like that either, especially you when You
0: mean you don't just highlight it with the mouse and right click and hit copy or cut and <laughs> Not quite. Huh? Uh,
1: not not always. No, so you got to get into insert mode or add mode or whatever you want to call that like um where you're actually putting the text in, and I don't know. So he he, he struggled a bit, but he knows it now, Learn, learned a lot in those first few moments where it's like, why isn't this more straightforward? Very angrily, yeah. like, ah, if I do this in Notepad, I got this down, but not in VI.
0: <laughs> yeah, you didn't give him the the normal answer of, well, you should have checked the man page before you even started.
1: No, I'm nicer <laughs> than that, but like... Yeah, it just, it wasn't as intuitive as he'd hoped. And, and, yeah. and I guess there are other editors that do give you some more feedback as far as keystrokes and whatnot and what's available. Yeah. You know, I, I'm saying Nano, pick Nano. Uh, I know that one kind of well. So. Yeah. It, it tells you down at the bottom of the screen, you know. And
0: that, that's that's my favorite thing about Nano. That's something I wish Vim
1: would mm-hmm. adopt
0: is just reminding you over here or it, over there or somewhere it, that these are the most common. Doesn't right. have to be all of them either. It could just be like the top 10.
1: Yeah, well, or here's how to get into, com- you know, command mode so that you can type in help and get more yeah. information. Right, right. That's there. It's just, it's not there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah.
0: Yeah. We're coming from a time though that uh yep. we just didn't have enough like memory or space on the disk to put all that stuff in there and then yep. no one ever decided to do it after the fact. So but help exists so you can do that, but you just have to know how to get to help in the first place. Right, right, right. I'm I'm coming at it from uh so I've I kind of kind of two-pronged here. When I learned it, the memes are real. So mm-hmm. when when you see the meme, it's like, "Well, how do you quit?" I mean, yep. there is no indicator at all, whenever you get into VI or Vim, that there's any other way to quit. So, you know, luckily for me, I I, um, I did have a GUI when first starting out. I didn't start out mm-hmm. on the command line only or anything like that. So, you know, worst case scenario, you just close a terminal and it's like, hey, something's still running. Are you sure? And you're like, yeah, close it. So, mm-hmm. I mean, for the longest time, uh, unless I was trying to save something, that's exactly how I did. I just closed it. Played around a little bit, learned mm-hmm. a little bit, found out that there were two modes.
1: More modes than that, actually, but yeah.
0: And then ended up Googling the rest of my way through it. Yeah. But I'm yep. I'm I'm coming at it now from a mentor's standpoint, and the memes are still real. Oh, very because much so. It's um, th- <laughs> this is uh, VI and Vim show up on certification exams on on oh, a lot of them. yeah yeah, absolutely. So, it's not like you can't just not know them if you're <laughs> if you're trying to certify so uh from a mentor's standpoint it's the same exact thing and i fully think that it, you were always meant to have a mentor yeah. to when you when you first start out with linux and you oh, first yeah. start out with vi um and editing anything doing anything having somewhere next uh, someone next to you Oh, to yeah. ask questions to as you're going through it, it was always the way that it was meant to be because when all this stuff got its start, the internet didn't exist. You didn't have chats. Mm-mm. I mean, at best, you could call someone on the phone, and or
1: you know, maybe you had a uh, actual hard manual that had some things in it or a book, right? You know, a physical book. Um, I know, I know one of the ones that I actually, I actually referenced. So one of the ways I learned was, um. Just Enough Unix, I think was the name of the book. Uh Um, So we got that in college when when I was going to college. And uh, that was a requirement for one of my classes um, because um, we didn't do Unix, but we needed a lot of the things that were, you know, the tools that were in there. And Mm. VI was one of the ones that was covered because it was at the time, you know, very popular and uh, available almost everywhere at that point. So that was how I learned was an actual manual. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, and,
0: and same here. When, when I, uh, mm-hmm. I was walking through a bookstore one day and, you know, obviously, I obviously gravitate toward the nerd section. And in the nerd section, they had uh, maybe it was like a 50-page O'Reilly manual with one yep. of their weird funky animals staring straight at you in the face. Yep. Yep. Um, it's like a VI VIM command mm-hmm. reference. And mm-hmm. that is what I took around with me as i was really starting to get into linux administration and everything mm-hmm. and then
1: discovered nano that was probably more advanced than the book i had because that covered a lot of other things you know it covered like yeah. you know the basics like ls and cd and all yeah. all all of that it probably had 10 15 pages that were devoted just to vi yeah and and the and the commands that it had but um the book is, that you had probably it sounds much more advanced and there is a lot of things there is no shortage of customization and options that that vim can have i feel like when (laughs) when you
0: think you learned it you're not even close <laughs> because now you can add you know very specific special different syntax highlighting and everything else yep. so you got to learn everything else that goes along with it and you're you're mentioning books so i have um the linux unix uh mm-hmm. system administration handbooks back here they don't cover how to do that right they they, they expect you're coming in you know, already having cut your teeth and figured out how to yep. do all of that stuff. And now we're really looking at the system administration side of it. So it took that little book before I could dive into one of these things and really understand, okay, so these four services, you put them together and now you have your big, fat system that you can administer.
1: Yeah, yeah, yep. exactly.
0: Oh man. It's, yeah. So it is a stepping stone, but ooh, is it a steep stepping stone to, to start with?
1: If you haven't subbed on YouTube, do it now while we have you distracted. And don't forget, you can watch us live on Twitch the day after an episode drops. And if you like what we're doing in the show, please support us over on Patreon.com LinuxUserSpace. We love our patrons and appreciate your support immensely.
0: During the creation of all these editors... And because there was so little memory in systems at the time, a 70s meme was born due to Ed being slower and having to swap out memory. So you never really knew what was in the buffer. And in some cases, the system ended up throwing out entire chunks of the buffer, losing your work. And with the slowness of the systems, it was almost impossible to tell when that would happen. So the very real meme Real programmers use cat as their editor was born. So picking up where we left off with Ed in the mid-70s, 1975. In autumn, George Calouris, not satisfied with the state of Unix's raw mode terminal input, set to hacking together his own text editor to utilize more of the underlying features. This led to the development of the EM text editor, which excelled at showing the file as you're editing it on a monitor or a video display unit, as it was called at the time. Clearly, a shot at Ed's difficulty, EM stood for Editor for Mortals. In 1976, George met Ph.D. student Bill Joy while visiting UC Berkeley. Bill was working on a context-free parsing algorithm and a Pascal compiler at the time. But during all that, and after being forced to hack features into Ed, he tried George's EM. Bill convinced George to have a chat with systems support there at UC Berkeley to see if EM would be a viable solution for the department, but was shot down quickly after it was explained that the CPUs would just be overloaded by EM's overhead In raw mode. On the bright side, EM had two whole error messages coming from Ed. Even Ken Thompson himself blew it off, the author of Ed, as he didn't need to see the state of the file while editing. Bill also hacked together a temporary intermediary editor called EN that was a rewrite of Ed to include the features of EM. However, after George took a week-long vacation on the East Coast, he returned to find that Bill had taken the existing EM code and tacked on quite a few features that would eventually become EX, or Extended, which included the Undo feature. In 1977, X was rewritten to drop most of the legacy EM code, which cranked it up to version 1.1, and was released in the very first release of the Berkeley Software Distribution, or BSD, in 1978. It probably had nothing to do with the fact that Bill initially worked on, led, and created the first release of BSD. In 1979, EX2.0 was released, but under a new name, VI. The name itself is derived from the word Visual of course, being the first two letters. It barely fit into the memory of the PDP-1170 that it was designed for. It was a behemoth in size by standard set in the late 70s. But now, it's considered one of the lightest, most functional editors of all time. Also around this time, Bill was working on another editor, BE or B, that used the small talk editing menu, which had visual editing a scroll bar, and thumb bar. One of the eight reported names for BE was Bill's editor. If the line in B was so long that it stretched off the screen, it just deleted it. Bill Joy continued leading development for VI until 1979, version 2.7. Later that year, in version 3.1, which was shipped with three BSD, it had exceeded the memory limits of the original PDP-11. Bill handed the reins over to Mary Ann Horton, but continued to contribute until 1980. In 1982, Bill left UC Berkeley to join Sun Microsystems, which led to its inclusion in at and ts System 5 in January of 1983. This marked the departure of the shared code for VI. Independently, changes at UC Berkeley were also made but the version number never exceeded 3.7. Over at AT AT&T and pretty much every other commercial Unix vendor like HP, IBM, and DEC, they kept their own version based on version 3.7, and quickly, one company's VI was incompatible with another's. In 1985, and because EN, EM, and VI were all derived from Unix's ED, distribution of the original source for all of them was forbidden. This gave Emacs some much-needed sun eh, and the opportunity to flourish. Micro Emacs was widely available. In 1987, a limited VI clone, Stevie, the ST editor for VI enthusiasts, was born. It was a limited version of VI for the Atari ST that helped revitalize interest written and released to the public by Tim Thompson. In 1988, Bram Moulinard took the source for Stevie and ported it to the Amiga, which marked the first release of Vim. It was also known as the WQ text editor at the time. Most folks take the acronym to mean VI but originally it stood for V-I-Imitation. It took on the improved meaning later in 1993, around version 2. In 1990, a more faithful clone of VI was released by Steve Kirkendall that supported EX modes, visual commands, arrow keys, long line display, and a ton more that was targeted for usage on Minix. It was called Elvis. In 1991, Vim sees its first public release. At version 1.14 in 1992, when Lynn and William Jollitz needed a text editor, unencumbered by the original VI source, to add to their BST ports for 386 processors, they had a choice of many, but chose Elvis. Slackware still ships with Elvis today. In between all the VI hubbub, Vim saw its first official release to the public with its own Vim license, which is compatible with the GPL. And with a license like that, you know it was ported to absolutely every single device that had a display and keyboard, including DOS, BOS, Mac OS, Windows NT 3.1, Android, iOS, and of course, Linux. In 1994, Keith Bostic. A major player in the development of BSD, and specifically for the 4.4 BSD Lite release, wanted the traditional Vi experience, but without the thought of AT&T breathing down his neck for using it. So, using Elvis as a starting point, nVi was born, or New Vi, as a bug-for-bug compatible Vi clone. Even FreeBSD and NetBSD took on nVi eventually. NVI is a little different than its VI clone brethren in that it stores all edited text in a database. BSDs continue to use NVI today. In 1996, Vim 4 comes with a GUI. The mode can be accessed with the gvim or vim-g command. Fast forwarding a little bit to 2002, the original VI source code was released as open source. But prior to this, Gunner Ritter was already illegally porting VI over to Linux and FreeBSD. His creation, traditional VI, still runs on many systems today and is now very legal and very cool. However, it never found its place in modern ecosystems. Fast forwarding again to 2016, VI celebrates its 40-year anniversary, and it's still shipped. In Endeavor OS, Mm -hmm. just as it was. In 2020, Fedora switches from Vim to Nano for the default text editor in the Fedora 33 release. In 2021, Vim celebrates its 30-year anniversary. And in 2022, June 28th, Vim saw its latest release, 9.0. Now, that is the short and sweet History of v m we glossed over a lot once we hit the two thousands, but mostly everybody that was going to adopt Vim had already adopted Vim, yep, and so it's more just a feature list year over right. year at that point um and yes, we did not cover a lot of well some of especially the newer vim offshoots like neo vim
1: oh yeah, that's very new though I'll say, yeah.
0: But there are plenty more topic shows to come over. Well, maybe and, we may know. hit on it again. Yeah. yeah it's hard to say. Yeah. I feel like a lot of those ones that you didn't hear about just yet are coming.
1: Yep. We gotta save some for later. Yeah.
0: So Ubuntu funnily enough, Ubuntu server ships Vim by yep. default. Uh sim they they simlink that to VI. So uh so if you type in VI or Vim, it you get Vim no the same matter thing. what. Yeah but this doesn't happen on the desktop
1: it does not and actually most of the ubuntu desktop flavors um with the exception of one don't ship vim
0: well you have to enlighten me which which what is the exception okay so maybe
1: lubuntu to... does ship <laughs> vim uh, and i i happen to know from some of the maintainers there that that's their choice um you know their preference anyway well it's the um, best one right yeah, absolutely. Oh, these oh, stepped in it now.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, there's a lot of flame going on there, I'm sure. Uh, you also found something on uh, Linux Mint, though, too.
0: Right. Um, So I had just assumed that Linux Mint would have stayed with that default. But uh, if, if most of the Ubuntu desktops don't ship Vim, then I had assumed Linux Mint wouldn't either. But they do. Vim is installed by default. um I have a fresh install of twenty one and I just thought, well hey it's it's either there or it's not. I'll just type in v i. and see, oh, there it was. Vim is there by default.
1: Oh, yeah, so the other one that we te- we're testing out, clear Linux for the month, right or, uh-huh. and so I launched the terminal, and um Vim is installed by default, and i I know it is the default editor as well not just installed it's the default Mm. editor and not something else so i found that to be interesting
0: and as i mentioned a little while ago in the history uh endeavor os does ship not vim but vi vi so you do you do yeah man vi and most distros will give you the vim man page not endeavor os uh this is real true blue vi as far as i could tell
1: yep yeah i i I don't have my Endeavor install anymore, but I, I will say going back to Clear, uh, Vi launches Vim, so it, it's they're they're simlink just like uh, Ubuntu and you know server and and whatnot. So
0: well, there there really are a ton of improvements in Vim that you just oh. don't get if you if you run Vi. So I think it, it it makes a whole lot of sense that everybody just does that. I agree. Um, everybody's muscle memory, especially if you're, if you're one of the older folks in, in Linux, if you've been on Linux for a long time, you got that VI muscle memory going. Yeah. So it just makes sense to, to give you the improvements, but you don't actually have to remember to type M because that's yeah. what matters.
1: <laughs> well, so one of the other things that we haven't really touched on here is the, um, the navigation keys. And mm-hmm. so the navigation keys will come up in other applications as well um sometimes. Um so like if you use cute browser and you wanna navigate in cute browser, you'll use the HJKL, you know, that are on your home row in a QWERTY keyboard to do some navigation, just like you do in Vim to up you know, page up down or, you know, that you know, left and right, that sort of thing. Um and so what
0: yeah, one thing I didn't mention um that maybe I should have, but So, after that week long vacation that George took when he came back, Mm -hmm. um, uh, so Bill, who took EM, added on a bunch of features, ended up calling it EX, Bill was using a leader Siegler ADM3A terminal, right? So, this meant that if you look, you can go look that up on Wikipedia. You can see what the keyboard layout looks like. And if you look Mm -hmm. at where the tab key should have been, the escape key is there. Yeah, And this leads to making it very easy to hit the escape key to change your mode or to to Mm -hmm. make quick changes or something like that. So um, that was different, but it's still a holdover. We still use escape today, even though it's a little further up on the keyboard. And the H, J, K, and L, as Dan said, those keys on the ADM-3A had arrows printed on them. So that particular terminal is what actually defined what you were going to use for navigation until we, until we started adding arrow keys onto the keyboard, right? right? Yeah, but, absolutely. But you have a lot of folks that use Vim and VI that just will never remove their hands from the home row. And H, J, K, and L is right there on the home row. So as a touch typist, this makes navigation way more easy for yeah, you than removing your hand and you know clicking on the arrow keys and then finding the home row again.
1: So you mentioned the placement of escape on that terminal keyboard. One of the very, very, very popular changes to get into command mode is to use caps lock. Um because oh. a lot of people don't use caps lock generally. They don't need to caps on unless you're well, I guess you're a database editor or your oh, database or, administrator, right? Right. Or you're <laughs> screaming
0: on the internet, right? Like that's right. that's very important as
1: well. So Caps Lock is is the change for your um, command mode, and that is just about where Escape would have been on that terminal.
0: I did not know. Th- I wait. So you're telling me that I can get into Vim now and hit Caps Lock, and that would, that no, would no, change? no, no,
1: no. I think you have to edit the the Vim configuration. But like, that's one of the very popular changes that people make, and in and that's why because. That's where they want their hand to be right there on exactly. that. Exactly. Home row area. Yeah. Yeah,
0: because, you know, speaking of home row, it's very difficult to hit the escape key with a pinky. I mean, that that you have to remove again like the arrows you yep. have to remove your hand from the home row to hit the escape key to change your mode, whereas with caps lock it's right just there. to the left of the mm-hmm. home row. Yep. Wow. Okay. I did not know that. Knowing very that popular now, change. It makes me want to make sure that changes in every, you know, because I'll end up in vi sometimes when there's no other, like, uh, what is it? Um, When you're, when you're making changes to sudo, you use, I forget what the command is now. uh, Yeah, by sudo. And you... I think you some distributions give you the the option to like you can choose nano to do that with, but yep. if you're on a distribution that doesn't give you the choice, you're just dropped into vi. Mm-hmm. And so having that there and having the caps be yeah. your uh, your your mode changer makes a whole lot of sense. So maybe I will
1: it takes, figure it takes out a, how a little editing to do, editing to do yeah. in your config file. But like, yeah, I mean, it's a whole new world when you do it, man, <laughs> man. So you want to have a topic covered or have some feedback? Send us an email. Contact at linuxuserspace.show. or
0: if you comment to us anywhere just about uh you'll
1: probably <laughs>
0: you'll you'll see pretty quickly that I scraped that too.
1: All right, one of our favorite segments, Mozilla Watch Leo. It, like, it keeps we, coming back. They they just keep coming. So um, recent OMG Ubuntu, um, article, uh, Firefox on Ubuntu, as we mentioned, they keep working on it. So that's, that's, it's really great.
0: Yeah. We saw last time, uh, last topic episode, we talked about how the snaps are way fast. No, no, it, it was the Ubuntu episode. We were talking about yeah. it in the Ubuntu episode.
1: We where talked the about the, snap- the one after too, because we talked about our, 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 you know, experience.
0: Oh, that's right. Okay. Yep. Right. So okay. Yeah. Recently we talked about um just how much faster the snap was becoming on Ubuntu, right? About six seconds to start yep. up on modern hardware, which is pretty darn good. Yep. It's if you're comparing it to the regular deb, which starts it's, up at about the same. It's close to
1: the same. Yeah. Close to the same.
0: Right. Right. Um, but lately mozilla and canonical have been working on um a fix for a couple of common issues uh number one being something like keypass, uh eh, the, the keypass thing like adding that in you couldn't do the copy paste easily is that what was going on there
1: Right. So this is this is part of like uh, we'll call it the free desktop uh specification things and being able to interact with local files um from your web browser. So the XDG desktop portal stuff mm-hmm. got added. And so in doing so, it it allowed because like KeePass uses a local database installed on your system. Mm-hmm. And so Firefox extensions didn't have access to that right in the confined snap. And so now there's been some changes there. So it allows those portals to be opened, if you will. And then Firefox in the snap variety can get access to those things.
0: Fantastic. So, I mean, with with something as, as integral to everyday life as a browser, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you might have the opinion that it probably should have been there in the first place when they decided to make that the default. Uh, I guess, yeah.
1: but yeah, maybe. But it's like a security thing, right? You don't want right. to necessarily open up the world to to your browser because, I mean, well, that's the right. first place that's getting hijacked, if, you, if you, <laughs> you, right. So, <laughs> so I'm I'm
0: kind of on the fence, right? Like, so mm-hmm. I, I live in the security world all the time. I'm steeped there all the time, so I totally get the aversion to just right. allowing. Your right. browser to touch whatever it wants to, you know, it, it read by by default, right? Whatever it wants to on the entire operating right. system, that's, that's a little much. But also the folks on the other end of this trying – steeping themselves in security by using something like keypass yep. XC cannot – do what they need to do with the extension that they installed could you just copy and paste it from the database yes but the entire point of having that extension was that you didn't have to do that and you know you you erase yeah. the need for having to worry about your clipboard being compromised in one way or the other right, right. so it it's important that's fantastic but the the same change that gave rise to the ability to use key XC in the browser in snap on Ubuntu also allows the gnome shell extension. So when you go out to the mm-hmm. webpage and you click on the little add this extension, that, that was a no-go in snap right. until recently. And now you can install the gnome, uh, extension extension for, for, yeah, yeah I think that's Firefox. what think yeah, it is. Yeah. Yes, it's an yeah. extension. Yeah. And then you, you <laughs> click on it and go, but,
1: which was I, actually the default way to do it up until, you know, this, you know, that release, right? Because that was right. the advised method was you installed the the Firefox extension and then you could, you know, use that to install GNOME extensions. And right. Because you went to the GNOME webpage and you toggled the little thing and it installed mm-hmm. it and activated it and all that good stuff. But once they switched to the snap and the confinement happened... It didn't work anymore, and so mm-hmm. yeah, very upset people.
0: the The good thing about this was, I think this because I had not heard of GNOME extensions, the app, right? up until, yeah, up no. until this point, I, and mm-hmm. I think this is this might have been one of the catalysts that pushed it to the forefront. And I agree. You know, now you can just install an app, search within the app, find the extension you want, and install that all without going to the web. I mean, yes, you obviously use the internet to do it, but you don't have to open a browser. You don't have to install an extension. You don't have to go to the website. You don't have to toggle it on. You don't have to click allow. You you don't have to go through that process. And it's just there, all confined within this one little app, and that's how you control it. I have fallen in love with doing it that way. So Mm you know this change in Ubuntu uh, didn't really affect me on that front because I had been using the GNOME Extensions app. For um, you know, as soon as I saw someone announce it months ago, yeah, I was like, "Yep, that is my favorite way to do this." Now I don't even have to use it to know that I would like it better than going to a web page. But either way,
1: yeah, there were many I'm, people that were using it the other way, though, in using the right. the browser extension. And I will say that the the web page, the GNOME web page, is nice looking, and it it makes oh, discoverability course. pretty good. So yeah. So, I mean, if that's your preferred method, by all means. There it is.
0: Yep. It's now available in the Snap. So, more on Firefox as a whole rather than Firefox on Ubuntu, Mm -hmm. Firefox 104 is released. And we said when we were talking about Firefox 103 that the touchpad gestures got bumped to 104. Right. It got bumped again. <laughs> so, uh, but it only worked on Wayland either way. Um, but there, there are no Wayland touchpad gestures. But um, I, 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 I might be the only one that is happy about this. I, I don't like it. I do not like those touchpad gestures because I accidentally do it all the time Ooh. on Mac at work. And because I have, I have uh, a lot of the resources that I use span horizontally mm-hmm. and I have to, oh, for sure. know, scroll yeah. horizontally and yep. the amount of times, because I have to edit these things too. The amount of times I have accidentally gone forward or back in the browser while just trying to get to the next few columns, mm-hmm. it is frustrating. So I don't think in my normal daily life that I do a whole lot of horizontal scrolling, but there are some websites that are just too wide, a few. right? Yeah. But man, it the the moment I have that frustration again, I'll probably go into about config and just turn that off. Uh because yeah. it works right now. Like if I want to do it now, I just hold the alt key and then two finger left and right. And then That's... it already works. So mm. So frustrating. Yep. So I'm, I'm we don't I'm, need that. Mm, I'm, I'm okay if it doesn't happen. But though I know tons of people that are waiting for this, um, so you know, you'll you'll get it. I may just turn it off.
1: <laughs> so one thing though that, that is uh a welcome improvement, I think, is the battery life, right? Oh. So Firefox is in the background or otherwise not in the focus. The tabs are throttled, which means Less activity. So yes. it also means less CPU usage and mm-hmm. then thereby extending your battery life.
0: Yes. I, so. I was I was talking about uh, battery life on the framework. I don't mm-hmm. know if that made it to the show or not now that I think about it. Uh, but I was talking about that telling saying that I mm-hmm. get about 10 hours of battery life on the framework. You know, I'll take 10 and a half hours because... When I'm when I'm doing anything on the laptop, the browser's always open. I'm I'm right. doing research, doing history, yep. whatever it is. There's always a browser with like eight tabs open. Yeah. So that at forefront least one tab. <laughs> yeah, at, at least. Yeah, but having having the entire browser mm. take a back seat whenever I, you know, swap workspaces or yep. choose a different application is huge for battery yep. life. Yep. That is Fantastic! I'm so welcoming this change. It's not in Linux Mint yet. It was as a snap as we record this um, available. Yes, but not quite in Linux Mint though. I imagine tomorrow sometime, day or two. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm excited for this. Uh, I'm I'm excited for more battery life.
1: Oh, I always welcome that. Plus, even if it's not battery life, it's just less you know utilization of other system resources that you can do something else with. So that's good too
0: and for those of you with uh streaming services specifically Disney Plus
1: uh you
0: can now get subtitles yay <laughs>
1: so, yeah, so I, they've been improving these for a couple of couple of releases you right know, the subtitles and the picture in picture stuff yeah in the picture in
0: picture thing i forgot yep. to mention that but in yep. the picture in picture thing you do get the subtitles which is a feature the picture in picture is a feature unique to firefox i think I don't there, know of any other browser that
1: does pop out video. Um, not well, there are other ones that attempt it. I don't think any of them are as successful as Firefox. Firefox is probably the best one that I've used that has the picture in picture mode. I
0: have, I love it. I, I yeah, absolutely love it, it works using great. it. When I'm when I'm listening to music, um mm-hmm. I, I'll pop it out, put it down because I like the animations. Uh, yep. that, that a lot of channels on YouTube have that mm-hmm. when you're just listening to music or something like that. And I like seeing that. And so when you pop it out, it's, it's on top. Um, you know, just make sure you're not putting in front of something that it obscures and right. it's just a nice little video.
1: It's nice. It's, it's pretty nice. It is nice. And it does stay on top. So that's the other nice thing too. So it keeps its focus even while you can work on other stuff in the background, which it keeps is, its focus. Yes. Just like us. <laughs> The other thing is uh, a fix for freezing when moving one tab from one window to another window. Now, I don't think you've experienced this, Leo, and I can't say that I have either. So I didn't know it was a thing to begin with.
0: Yeah, Well, in in the bug report, uh, many, many folks that were talking about that in the bug report were saying that it's totally random. Like there was no rhyme or reason between what tab it was, how many windows were open, when they moved it, None, none of it like that. But with bug reports like that, I don't know how they pinpointed what was I don't know, going how you wrong. Fix it. Yeah, <laughs> but somehow they figured out how to do this. But yeah, again, like uh, like Dan said, neither of us really had it, this particular. And I do it all the time. Yeah, I, I
1: move them around all over. Yeah,
0: I always have, especially during research, have two Firefox windows open: one on the left so I can write in Cody uh, or in HedgeDoc, and one on the right. Where I'm doing my research, and I move tabs back and forth all mm-hmm. the time.
1: Yeah, it and I'll, you know, I do all sorts of crazy things. I'll pull them out of the the one and put it on another screen entirely. Yeah, and, right. and, and, and like messing around with it all over the place. And and I've not experienced that don't know,
0: but hey, someone out there is definitely going to have uh,
1: a really good time at one oh four so that's good no uh, these sound like some very welcome improvements, so that's good to see. You can catch these and other great topics as they unfold on our subreddit or our news channel on discord linux dot show slash reddit and linux dot show slash discord and We've got Telegram and Matrix as well, where we're a little more interactive. And uh, you can catch those at linuxuserspace.show slash Telegram and Matrix. Gnome.
0: Lots of gnome. Not, not the garden variety. The desktop variety is getting more exciting. I remember... Oh. Uh, especially with GNOME forty and prior to that, mm-hmm. the yep. conversion to GNOME three, right? I mean, it's it's been it's been a long list of things mm-hmm. where uh the the Gnome devs in general were trying to get rid of all the cruft, the stuff that didn't work or
1: kinda worked. Angered a lot of people they, they came out with their pitchforks oh. and uh, yeah.
0: yeah. But the pit pitchforks is right.
1: Yeah, the removal of anything was not welcome, let's put it that way
0: yeah and as and as long as you don't verify gnome versioning it took 43 versions <laughs> to finally add the functionality of toggling outputs and inputs from the system menu okay it's only been three versions but uh, yeah. you know because they, they started counting different at gnome 40 but <laughs> anyway. but um yeah so now we're at whole numbers three versions we now get Something that um, I've been using on Linux Mint in Cinnamon for the mm-hmm. longest time. You right-click on the little sound uh, icon in the, in the yep. wherever it is in your tray in Cinnamon. And uh, for outputs, you just get a list. Like you can mm-hmm. you know, drop it down, choose your output if you have multiple. And same with inputs. As long as it's being used, mm-hmm. uh, it's like Audacity is on, inputs will show up and you can toggle those right. inputs easily. GNOME is Finally getting that feature Finally. and I absolutely love Thank it. You. Mm. We we do a lot of recording, Dan. We do a lot of audio stuff.
1: Well, I mean, we've got different inputs all over the place, right? I mean, we got a camera that's got a webcam, it's got a mic in it, and we got a yep. mic here, and then you might have another, you know, sound card that's got a mic input, and even if you're not using it, it shows up as an input.
0: My camera. Yeah. Just shows up all the time and decides to take priority all the time. So, yes, well, this is
1: huge. Yeah, and it's like Pulse Audio loves to grab the last thing that got connected. And so if your webcam is the last thing that it, you know, in the boot up process that got connected, well, that's mm-hmm. the default mic now. Mm-hmm. And that's some, exactly some what happens. webcams even want to be the output, which no thank you. Because I'm not listening to anything there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm so glad my camera doesn't have any kind of output or even like a dummy output to take precedence because that would be very annoying.
1: Well, and like some microphones do, right? Because they'll have, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a monitor port, but they can also output audio from the system. Yep. You know, like everybody wants to be able to select the correct place for, you know, your audio to go in or out. And having it right there in the menu, you know, in the system tray, oh, that's so much, so much better. I mean, a lot. of... That's where I, the we sound goes. We were talking goes. about this in the in the pre 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 show. Yeah. Um, that I think GNOME is the only desktop environment that didn't have this. Right. Maybe? Yeah.
0: We're. I'm pretty sure. Maybe with the exception of one or two. Yep. Pretty much every desktop environment has something like this, and this right. is why why it was so frustrating that um, GNOME didn't have it. Right. Uh, but but in 43, which is in beta as we record this, it does have it. So I'm I'm super 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 I, super excited, excited I, about this. Perfect. Welcome one. welcome improvement. Yeah. yeah, this is one that really affects me. So, yeah, like, so when you have multiple outputs, uh, there's an arrow to the right of the volume slider. So you click up in the top right, you know, GNOME brings down that big little, that little menu. And to the right of the slider, there's a little, uh, what is that? Greater, greater than symbol, essentially. Yep. And when you click it, all the outputs pop down. And you just put the check mark next to the one that you actually want to use. And mm-hmm. as I mentioned with Cinnamon, the inputs have to be in use, So you have to have a application running that would use your microphone before you can go. If you have multiples of those, most people Mm -hmm. just have one. I think Dan and I have. I have three, four, three, four right
1: now. I don't know. Yeah, we've got a lot. Yeah, so
0: (laughs) so yeah, very welcome change. Um, And like, there's there's a whole lot more stuff. Like, I'm really harping on the audio thing because it affects Mm -hmm. me a lot. But there's a a whole lot of other stuff. Um, The file manager. Better spacing, so when you select multiple things or you're just trying to kind of parse through a bunch of different files, there's a, a little bit uh, of better spacing. Mm. Um, the sidebar, you know, where home and favorites and all that stuff goes, when you make the window real small, that goes away. It it doesn't go away fully. It just gets tucked away, and there's a little button to bring it back. Mm-hmm. That is pretty fantastic. That's pretty slick. Um, yeah, it really is. And um, drawing a box around multiple files to select them. This was not in every version of mm-hmm. Gnome Forty, uh, which was I couldn't understand it.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that seems like a very basic thing,
0: right? And it's uh, it's called rubber banding. Though mm-hmm. I'm I I come from like a lot of gaming where rubber banding is about lag and latency, right, and, right. You know, the catching up to the server and stuff. Um, so that that was a weird term for me to read, but um. Right, it's like wrapping a rubber band around multiple items is, I guess, what it really refers to. Um, But now you can do that super easily in Nautilus. uh, Formatting a drive was taken away from the context menus a while back. That's back. I I know. I know.
1: I mean, I guess probably everybody used GNOME disks.
0: That's been my default uh, for quite a long time, just because that thing is so functional. Right. I mean it it can do everything. It can it can um write your image disk to Raspberry Pi it can SD restore cards. stuff even it, yeah. yes, yep, exactly. Yeah, if you if you like blow away a disc on accident and you have an image backup or something, it'll just, just plop it right back on mm-hmm. there. Um you can do format uh of multiple different disc types, disc formats, all that. All just all yeah. kinds of disc huh. benchmarking, you don't even need like crystal disc like you do on Windows.
1: It does crystal disc stuff, yeah. Yeah, I love it. I love it having that right in the in the context menu i guess that speeds things up for people especially if you're you're you're, you're formatting a, a removable disk you know like a, a usb disk or something yeah you just want you just want to format that real quick
0: yeah i i i do it all the time with flash drives but yeah. i don't do it with any other disk so hopefully that's confined to removable media because accidentally doing that to something else is probably yeah. bad, but you know, I think I think Windows has that in a lot of their context menus yeah, too. So. I think they do. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't hear a lot of complaints. So I'm sure it'll be fine. Another cool change uh, because there are a couple of app images that I use on a regular basis. Um, so usually when you get an app image, you have to write if you're doing it as in the GUI. Mm-hmm. Right-click on the app image, hit Properties, go to the Permissions tab, check the box down at the bottom that says Let This Run, and then hit OK. Right. Now, GNOME takes a couple of steps out of this process. Right-click Properties, the toggle is there at the bottom. So that takes off, what is that? Yeah, it it, it removes it's a A step. couple of
1: steps, yeah. Well, at least one.
0: But it also puts that option at the forefront Right, So, I mean, especially for things like app image, um, yeah. it's it's a lot easier to find. Because if you don't mm-hmm. know where to look, you're already kind of up a creek. And then in most sets of instructions, um, they try to write it from the terminal standpoint because, you know, no two GUIs are exactly the same, right? right. So,
1: you know, no That's one's trying to... not a great experience, though, right? Yeah.
0: No one's trying to chmod U plus X over here. So, you know, this makes that simplified and simplification, at least in this case, very welcome, very nice. I think so. Um, Something that I've been doing a lot in Cinnamon is, you know, you navigate to a a directory in the file system and you're like, you know what, this would be way easier to do in the terminal. So instead of just clicking the terminal button, you can right click in Mm -hmm. that file navigator thing and hit open in terminal or in Gnome's case, it's open in console
1: yeah, the new the new terminal application.
0: Yes, I'm excited about this. It's just a feature that I've been missing. I didn't need it. It's fine. I can always open up a terminal and CD to where I need to go. But I think this the
1: shortcut key still works too, right? F4 or something like that.
0: Right, right. Um, but my hands already on the mouse. I could just yeah. right click, left click, and it would be super simple. Right, just for the same reason that HJKL in Vim are bound to the movement keys. I already have my hand on the mouse. So let's uh let's speed well, this up a little bit. It's a
1: gooey application. <laughs> Why wouldn't you have right. your hand on the mouse, right? <laughs>
0: exact very much. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and uh last thing I think about Gnome um that well, I, I, I say that. It's not the last thing. There are a ton of changes in here. Right. But the last thing that I think that most people are gonna notice right off the bat is if you spend any amount of time looking in the about dialogs of boxes to either find out the version number or know who to send money to because those guys deserve a couple of dollars, whatever the reason you're going into the about dialog box, it's now prettier, it's formatted better. You can see the important folks that do the important work for that app right there front and center.
1: All right. Next up, we got some feedback um, and feedback from our our last episode where we discussed Endeavor and the history thereof. Um, We did get some kudos for our Endeavor episode from Brian and Joe, um, as well as some positive feedback on Reddit in the Endeavor forums. Uh, From the bottom of our hearts, thank you for listening. And thank you, Reddit Lurkers, for, for all your upvotes. And thanks for the positive feedback. I think... Um, it just solidified, in in my opinion, what Endeavor is about and the differences community. And yeah, yeah, it 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 was a real good feeling.
0: I I think the only episode where we got the same amount of uh comments and backing and kudos was mm-hmm. Slackware. Yeah. So mm-hmm, there, there's there's something about doing it the hard way yeah. that that makes a community. I guess. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. And we got, oh, you know what? The other one, there was another one Nix. Nix was Nyx, good.
1: Yep. Nix OS. I we had. A, wasn't bad either. Like, yeah. And all of those are kind of hard. Yeah. yeah
0: they're, <laughs> they're ones that require tinkering. We'll, we'll put yeah. it that way. They, they may not necessarily be hard, but they yeah. do require a bit of tinkering to get it the way you like. And it just, for some reason, seems like those are the groups of people that you know they'll show up for yep. their distro they'll they'll champion their distro and and in, and and I'm not saying this in any kind of negative way right like no. it is the nicest I mean. community um those those just tend to be the nicest community well, we so
1: have.
0: great and and, and we have to
1: band together right to get through the hard parts
0: it, yeah well, yeah as i mentioned mentor for vi Sometimes you need a mentor for Linux, and those are the communities to go and get mentored. They're just nice communities. I agree. Anyway, so some feedback. Uh, Bitterhalt on YouTube left us a comment. He said, uh, and this is to the question that I asked, um, you know, is Endeavor OS really arch? You know, what does it take to be really arch, right? So this Mm -hmm. is kind of in that that vein. So um, he says, in my opinion, it does not really matter... Uh, If you're using uh, the installer or installing via the vanilla Arch way, Uh, EOS or Endeavor OS was my port drug to (laughs) the world of Arch. And because of that learning experience, I installed Arch in a traditional way just for fun and uh, an educational test. And I feel super proud that I was able to do that myself. But again, in the future, I surely We'll just use the EOS installer or Arch install because it saves time when you're installing traditional uh, DEs like KDE or GNOME.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and I yeah, can appreciate that.
0: Yeah. And I, and I think at the <laughs> end of our conversation about is it, isn't it it Arch, that's what we decided, right? It doesn't yeah. matter. It, it. I mean, at the end of the day, it doesn't actually matter but uh but the next bit of feedback kind of puts a point on that that uh that I very much agree with. So um thanks bitter halt for uh for writing that and for giving us something to chat about for a minute because you're right. It it does not matter. At least for as far as uh like clout goes, right? I don't like think you need arch, to. Do arch, arch, that. By the way, style it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Uh, but Len Darker on Reddit kind of puts a finer point on this and he says The only way in which it really matters whether Endeavor OS is Arch or not is if I need support. Does EOS do some things differently enough that if I say I run Arch, the proposed solution will not work for me? And that, yeah, that is the most important thing. Because even on the Endeavor OS forum, they remind you, if you have issues with Endeavor OS, come to this forum. Right don't go straight to the arts forum because you're right. There are differences. And that's what, um, Dan, that was your point in Mm
1: -hmm. that episode that there are differences. They may be subtle and it's still close, but there are a few differences. So you want to make sure that, you know, you're following the rules, I guess, if you will, for, for the, the distribution or whatever that you're using, I guess.
0: So he goes on a little bit, um, And says, until that point, until you run into the point of needing the help, Endeavor OS is, to me, just Arch with a handy installer and some mostly reasonable defaults. Back in the day, I did an Arch install once on a spare SSD, then just installed Antergos on my work machine. Later on, when Antergos was discontinued, I switched all repositories to Arch and have been running for years since. Am I running Arch? For all practical purposes, I'd say yes. Purists would probably disagree, but I honestly couldn't care much less about that if I tried. Mm-hmm. I have Endeavor OS on my Ventoy USB stick in case I ever brick my install. If I ever needed to reinstall or wanted Arch on a new device, I'd install EOS. It's not a religion. It's a tool to get work done.
1: Yeah. yeah that's, that's, that that that's sums it up very nicely. That, that's perfect. That
0: last sentence, it's not a religion. It's a tool to get work done. That That is very well put and should be applied to absolutely every distribution to every operating system to Mm -hmm. every device in all of creation
1: let's just use these things as they are supposed to be used as tools to get work done
0: that's it and don't take yourself so seriously that is huge well thank you both for writing
1: uh writing comments really uh i I Mm -hmm. enjoyed
0: the the conversation
1: All right, first up on our focus sessions is the Community Focus. focus. Yeah! We're going to recommend a YouTube channel, and that's DistroTube. So, we talked about Vim earlier in the episode, in the history. Um, I think one of the highlights that DistroTube has done... Is all the Vim videos that he's put out there. Yes. I mean, he's done a lot of other videos. He's done a lot of videos. Yeah. Yeah. And, I'm, uh, I'm sure
0: we're in the four or five digits of videos by now. There are oh,
1: a lot. Right. But he's done some great ones on Vim. And since that falls right in line with the topic of the episode, we wanted to make sure to to highlight that. And uh and he, he's even got a couple of tutorial videos. And I'll I'll link all of these in, in the show notes. So that you have them going forward, and so that you too can learn learn and get acquainted with vim
0: you got to become a command line hero somehow, and it starts with either vim or emacs mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and well uh, we'll probably get into that later too, because oh we he, will. he 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 is recently in DistroTube. he's also got some emacs videos, so mm-hmm. you'll probably want to you know maybe get a head start on one of our future episodes. Yep.
0: That, that is, um, from DistroTube, that is my absolute favorite content that he puts out, which yep. are like the tutorial videos, the, the yep. very informative videos that he, I mean, in a lot of these are very deepy divey kind of videos oh, yeah. that you just, you can learn a lot from. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, it's worth your 20 minutes to go check out some of these videos and, uh, and learn something.
1: Yeah, and and when you get done with all of that, you'll you'll probably have made your Vim or your Emacs look very pretty, and uh, <laughs> you'll you'll enjoy your time while you spend it there.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what I was saying. Right? You you thought you learned all of Vim. No, now it's time mm. to customize it. So they have to learn a whole new set of everything yep. to get it there. Second focus. They knew about first focus, but did they know about second focus? It's the app focus. So I said in the history that there was specifically a port of Vim for macOS, but mm-hmm. I'm not talking about macOS, but bear bear with me, right? right? I have been added to the Apple Music family grouping thing. Like apparently you can add six people okay. to an Apple Music subscription. I was deemed worthy of being added to the family. And okay, good. That's cool. I get all kinds of music and all kinds of stuff, but uh, I had no way to listen to it on Linux.
1: Which is where you spend most of your time, right, Leo?
0: It is. It, I Actually, before in the pre-pre-pre-show, <laughs> uh, I told <laughs> you that in the past three-ish weeks, I've probably spent maybe about an hour in Windows mm-hmm. uh, for work I use Mac, so I spend more time there. But either way, uh, I've, I've gotten most of the Windows out of my life, but I do spend all of Pretty much non-working hours on yeah. Linux, and well, it's not like Apple makes iTunes for Linux, and well, it's not like I would install iTunes on Linux, even if they
1: did. Yeah, yeah,
0: absolutely not. So, enter cider, ah. uh, aptly named as well, right? Because mm-hmm. from apples you can make CIDR. cider. Yeah, yeah. so. Cider is pretty much iTunes without all the trash.
1: That sounds good.
0: It is. It is a direct portal to Apple Music, but even better. Dan, do you remember the heartache we both felt when Plex said, yes. ah, "We're not gonna do. We're not gonna do podcasts anymore. No we're more just gonna more rip podcasts. that Just boom, done, out. It was out, and it hurt because that's how I kept progress." From mm-hmm. application to application, from this to that, this device, that device, everything knew where I left off, maybe yep. with like a 10-second yep. yep. weird little buffer thing. But close. it remembered. Close. Yeah. Now, I said on that episode where we where we talked about that, that... I guess I'll just go back to Apple Podcasts and just, you know, doing it from one device and, you mm-hmm. know, making sure that I never do podcasts anywhere else. Not anymore. Not with Cider. Nice. Cider picks up this information. So all of my subscription, <laughs> all of my played, all of my everything, it's just there. It's there. Good to go. Any playlist I made, it's good to go. In Linux.
1: That's good because I've been searching. And uh, the other alternatives I have found, well, they got a paywall. So, <laughs> yeah,
0: and th- there are some. Uh, I remember uh, Nate told us that he uses G Potter, and mm-hmm. there's like a back end to that, and there's yep. a bunch of applications that'll read from it and stuff. But you gotta you gotta do a little tinkering to make it work, and that's something that I would have loved to do. However, there is no iOS port of like a podcasting right. app that would hook in to g potter so so i can't do that and this is the next best thing it was it was only through a stroke of luck that i was added to the apple music thing so that i started looking for something that would play apple music on linux found cider and all of my wishes were granted i was so happy Um, so if you're in any of those predicaments if you have Apple Music, but you don't know what to do with it, and you're only listening on the one device, because that's the only Apple device you have, or you have a ton of devices, but you still like Linux, and you still like listening to music on Linux, then go grab Cider. And if you do podcasts, well, it syncs throughout all of the stuff, multiple devices, even if, and the reason why I said I've only spent one hour on Windows, even if you're on Windows, Hmm. Cider has a Windows port that yes. is linked to WinGet. So ah. you can WinGet install, it's like com.cider.cider or something. Like, I don't know what it is. Right, right, but anyway, right? right they, they do the weird Flatpak naming. It's they like the Flatpak name, yeah. Yeah, they, they haven't figured out the common naming thing that Flatpak has done, which is absolutely It fantastic. took a long time to
1: get that in Flatpak
0: listen, I appreciate it because yep. now I can just type in like flat pack install, whatever. And it's like, yeah. Oh, did you mean this thing that I don't yes, read? Because I it's...
1: did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sure, man. Sure. Yep.
0: So there you go. Mm. If you, if you got Apple cool. music, you need to fix. This is how you do it. Windows, mm. Linux, whatever. It's all there. It's fantastic.
1: Nice. All right. That uh, brings us to next time. <laughs> Already? Already? Yeah, n- n- I know. We're all the way down at the bottom here. The history of Clear Linux is going to be on our next episode. And um, a few thoughts. Um, I may have a lot of thoughts. I've been having some struggles. Um, but I'm gonna get over my my woes, and I'm gonna get there. I'm gonna I'm gonna test some things out. I know there were some things I wanted to test, so I, I definitely Ma- want to be reporting back on that.
0: <laughs> it it makes me scared to dual boot on the framework. So just just some just some seasoning for the next episode. I don't want to give you too much,
1: but mm. so we'll talk about that and our thoughts and whatever else we can cram into the show in between shows. Please catch us on Twitter, Mastodon, Telegram, Matrix, Discord, whatever. Give us your suggestions on our subreddit, our Linux user space, and join the conversation. Talk to us. Give us more ideas. All the links in show notes and on linuxuserspace.show. So, Leo, that brings us to the end. Where can we find you?
0: You can find me at Leo Chavez
1: on Twitter. And you can find me at kc 2 beeasy on Twitter as well. Join us in two weeks when we return to the Linux user space. Unfortunately, there are some multiple steps, but there's some reasons for the multiple steps. So I guess once you get that process um, down and you understand what's going on, it does sort of make sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, right. Right. It's you got to memorize the things and then you're good to go.
1: If you really want to get like crazy cutting edge, there actually are some shortcuts to just exiting as well.
0: The, the only one of these I know is ZZ
1: yeah the shit yeah the ZZ that gets you out of there like on an instant
0: right 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 but you but apparently you gotta have you gotta have a file name already declared mm-hmm. otherwise yep. it's like no file name I can't do it so right it, it, usually it, I, I remember only that one because I'm like oh got into vim on accident ZZ yep. no.